The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you would, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew, chapter 26. I I come before you today with a little bit of nervousness because we're doing things different than we've done before. I've been a Christian for 60 years. I've been in church even longer than that. Um, I was saved when I was seven years old, and um, my career in church started in the first week of my birth. I was enlisted on the cradle roll of the South Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. And shortly after my birth, my father became pastor of a rural church in Kentucky, and this is the church in which I was saved and baptized And that's where I began to get my doctrinal foundation. And in all of the years that I've been a Christian, I've done a lot of things, but I've never done what we're about to do this morning. I have never in all of my life taken the Lord's Supper in the morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read a moment ago, the Apostle Paul related instructions that he received about observing the supper And he says in verse number 23 of that chapter, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, I've always taken that phrase, the same night, to indicate a nighttime observance. And it is a supper, and supper is usually eaten at night. But I think that you know, and we all should be aware, that a nighttime observance of the supper is not really the point of the passage. There is no rule in in Christianity that I know of. There is no command, which is most important of all. There is no command in the scriptures to observe the supper in the evening. And, of course, there are many churches that don't even have evening services, and ours Supper is an ordinance of the church, and we are commanded to observe it. We are to remember the Lord's death. And one of the one of the big issues, I think, of keeping us out of church for extended periods of time is the inability that we have to observe this ordinance, to observe the Lord's Supper as that memorial that speaks of Christ's death. Now, the Lord's Supper is, of course, integral to our communion with Christ. And we do have the command that the church as a body should be ready to receive it. And you personally, of course, need to be ready to commune with the Lord. And after a long absence from our services and from this observance, I think that this is an appropriate time for us to reestablish the commitment that we have to Christ. Now, I want you to be aware that although communion is recognized as part of the fellowship that we have with each other, yet that fellowship is secondary. Primarily, our fellowship today is with the Lord. And we partake of his body and his blood because of that fellowship. That is the primary thing that we do today. And this requires readiness. It requires preparation. 
It requires sanctification. And these are issues that I want to discuss with you today. So I want to talk to you about the supper. Then at the end of this sermon, we will observe our first communion in 14 months. And I hope that this message and this experience will revive your hearts. This will be good for you today and cause you to be thankful to our Lord and Savior. Now, our text today is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. And it is our privilege to come to this remembrance of our Lord. Uh, it's always a wonderful experience for the church because this is the time that we can reflect in a symbolic way upon the death of Christ for our sins. This passage in Matthew chapter 26 is one of four places that we go in Scripture that describe the, uh, the, the supper in a little bit of detail at least. And this is a supper that Jesus shared with his disciples that began as the Passover meal. Now, Passover is a yearly feast of the Jews that celebrated the Old Testament story of Moses uh, preparing a Passover lamb just before the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. Passover time was a time of sacrifice. A lamb was killed, and then the blood of that lamb was smeared on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses. And by the way, I'll tell you again, that was at night. And the people went into their houses, and they shut themselves in. And on the night before the exodus, a death angel came. And when this angel saw the blood that was put on the doorpost of the houses, the angel passed over that house. He passed over. And that's the source of the Passover. That's where we get the term. He passed over. And if the angel did not pass over, then the firstborn in that house died. Now, the Jews were commanded to keep the Passover to remind them that Their deliverance was by sacrifice and that this lamb slain was a symbol that one day God would make another sacrifice, a singular sacrifice, a once for all sacrifice that would deliver his people forever. And so this yearly sacrifice of the lamb is the occasion for the 26th chapter of Matthew. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the appropriate time. He was there at the specific moment intended so that his death would be the fulfillment of this symbol of his death that was given 1,500 years before. Well, now we begin reading in verse number 17. We'll read through verse number 30. The meal is the Passover, and Jesus transformed it into a picture that would memorialize his death until he comes again. Matthew 26 and verse number 17. Now, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand, I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. 
And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out unto the Mount of Olives. Now, today, before we partake of the supper, I'd like for us to concentrate on verses 17, 18, and 19. Verse 17, now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The Master saith, My time is at hand, I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, you'll notice in verse 17 that the disciples came to Jesus on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, I think I should take just a moment to explain this. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day feast that began the day after the Passover. Now, here it says that the disciples came on the first day of the feast and they asked, where should we prepare the Passover? Now, that seems a bit odd because of the timing of this Passover should have already been over. Well, the difficulty is resolved because the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover are right up next to each other. They occur in, in the same period of eight days. They came and they asked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that comprehended the Passover, so that sometimes Passover refers to the full eight-day period of the Passover. That's one day, one day for Passover, and then seven days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So these two events were combined, and either Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover was used to signify that entire period. Now, in just a few minutes, I want to come back to this Feast of Unleavened Bread and tell you why that is significant. Now, I also want you to notice that the first part of this question that the disciples asked, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? This section of it first Where wilt thou? And that brings us to the first part of our discussion today. First, we speak of the place for the supper. The disciples asked, where is the place? And that's an interesting question and one that we might easily skip over and not think about. The disciples asked, where are we going to do this? And, and the ones who asked this question, according to Luke chapter 22, verse number 8, were Peter and John. 
Now, Jesus had a definite place in mind where this was to be observed. But you'll notice that the Lord didn't give them an address. He didn't give them the name of the man that owned the place. And so he said, go into the city to such a man. Now, there isn't much detail in that command. It is impossible for us to see what does he mean by such a man. This text really doesn't give an answer to that question. So we need to go over to Luke chapter 22. And I want to look at this for just a moment to see how that Jesus described this man and how they would know who he was. Now, Luke 22 is a parallel passage, and uh, it records the same account that we have in Matthew, and this is then one of the other places that we go to read about the Lord's Supper. Well, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7, says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready." And they went and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Jesus said, you are to go into the city. Now, they don't question him about what city, because the city is always Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where the Passover was observed. The yearly yearly feast and so forth, these were observed in Jerusalem. So Jesus says, go there, go there. And prepare the Passover. So they went into Jerusalem and they were to look for a man who is bearing or carrying a pitcher of water. Well, that seems a little bit difficult as well, because we would think about that in a city the size of Jerusalem with so many people going in and out for the Passover feast. How would they identify a man just by carrying a pitcher of water? What what significance is that? Well, the significance is there's only one man. Who will be carrying a pitcher of water? And this is because men didn't carry water. That was women's work. You go back into the Old Testament and you find, or first of all, the New Testament, the woman, the woman at the well in John chapter four. And in the Old Testament, you'll find places such as where Abraham's servant went to look for a wife for Isaac. And there he found Rebekah at the well because the women were drawing the water. Same thing happened with Jacob and Rachel. He found Rachel at the well as she was watering her father's sheep. And so women were the ones that watered the sheep. They were the ones that carried the water. That was women's work. And men didn't do women's work. And I think maybe that's a custom we should keep. Men don't do women's work. Uh, but this this is the reason they could find this man, because he would be carrying a pitcher of water. And that was so unusual because the men didn't do it. So they went into the city and they found this man doing what men don't do. That was unusual. And this was the man they were to speak to. Now, why do you suppose that Jesus was so cryptic about this? Why is this secretive? Why didn't Jesus just tell the tell these disciples what the man's name was, where he would be, what the address of his house was and said, go there 
and prepare for us. Well, there is a very good reason for that. And it's because there is a man lurking here. There is one who is about to betray Jesus. And the best place for him to do that is a place where he knew that Jesus would be at a certain time, at that certain hour, doing this particular thing that he would be doing. And that would be very easy to betray him and have the enemies come in, give that information to the enemies and have them come in and to seize Jesus. Well, Jesus already knew this. Now, there is going to be a betrayal and he will die on the cross, but he wasn't going to tip Judas off ahead of time so that he would know where he would be found. First, he must observe the Passover. The Passover must be fulfilled. So he can't have this observance interrupted because there are especially important hours that will come immediately after this that will be spent instructing the disciples. Now, if you read the account that's given by the Apostle John in John chapters 13 through 17, there you will find the special last instructions that Jesus gave in conjunction with the Passover meal and immediately following. It was in that time that Jesus did one of the most remarkable things that he ever did, and that was to wash the disciples' feet. It was in that time that Jesus told them about his betrayal. He had a conversation with Peter about how that Peter would deny him. In this conversation, he told them about heaven and told them that he was going to prepare a place for them. He spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He called himself the vine and the branches and uh, the vine and said, you must abide in me as the branches. He told them that he had chosen them and he told them that the world would hate them. He spoke of the sorrow that they would experience when he was gone. But then he said, your sorrow will be turned into joy. And then he prayed that great high priestly intercessory prayer in John chapter 17, which is the real Lord's prayer. And all of that takes place during this time. And Jesus had to have that time. He couldn't give Judas an opportunity to spoil all of this by being seized before the supper. So he was secretive and he only told two. He told Peter and John two trusted disciples where they were to go. And we noticed they didn't come back. Then at the right time, Jesus led the others to meet them at the upper room. Now, I mention all of this because the place was important. It was a specific place. It was the gathering place of his disciples Now, it's probably the same room where he appeared to them later after the resurrection. This may be the upper room of Acts chapter one, where the hundred and twenty members of the church were assembled to choose another apostle to replace Judas. And I believe that the place was important because it was the church gathered. These men were the first church. They were the first ones to be called out to be the church. And then later, the 120 others were converted and joined them. And this was the first church in existence, the first disciples who are in fellowship with one another in church capacity. Now, I I believe that through this, we learn that the place of the Lord's Supper is the church. And by the church, I don't mean the location I don't mean the location because the church 
is not the building. The church is the people. The church is wherever disciples, these disciples are together. Now, it so happens that this building is where the Berean Baptist Church meets. And so this is where we come together to observe the supper. Now, if you want to ask, why is that important? It is because the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance. An individual is not the church. Five of you meeting together is not the church. A Sunday school room with ten of you gathered is not the church. A ladies meeting with a dozen of the ladies gathered is not the church. The church is the assembly of us all. Now, that doesn't mean that every single member of the church must be here, but it does mean that when we meet as the church, we are agreed to bring a number of people together under the leadership of the pastor and the deacons and the church and to hold a church service. Now, if you wonder then, why don't we send the bread and the communion cups to the hospital? Why don't we send them to a sick person's house? This is the reason. There is no authority to give the supper to individuals outside of the assembly of the church. And this is because the assembly is the body of Christ and the body is not divided. Now, in the past months, when churches couldn't meet, there were some that still observed communion. They did it in their houses. Some passed out elements in uh, the hospitals and some in nursing homes and I mentioned in the article, if you saw that from yesterday, uh, some of them were doing drive-bys. You just drive your car in and receive the elements out of the car window. And so they were serving the supper to many individuals in different places. That should not be done. It It is not the proper observance. The Lord's Supper is a church ordinance, and it can only be observed by The assembly of the church, when the church is gathered. There is no true church if the church is not gathered. And this is one of the reasons it's so important that we not be restricted from meeting for extended periods of time. We can't observe, we don't have the authority to observe the supper, except as we meet as the Lord's church. I've told you before this story about my trip to Israel. One of the popular tourist destinations for Christian tour groups is to go to the garden tomb where it's believed that Jesus was buried and then arose from the dead. And one of the experiences of visiting the tomb is the gathering of tour groups into many special rooms where they observe a communion service. So you have hundreds of people from many different tour groups that split up and you'll see them in their groups Observing the supper. Now, I was in a uh, on a Christian tour, a tour group of Christians and and from many different denominations, in fact. And I was asked by the leader of our group if I wanted to help officiate one of these groups. And that's because I'm a pastor of a church. And so he asked me if I wanted to help officiate. And I told him no, because there is no authority for it. My church is here. My church is the Berean Baptist Church. And this is where I observe the supper among the members of my church. And I don't have the authority to administer the supper in some other place with some other group of people. To do that is to demean the importance of belonging to a specific group 
that is the church, a body of Christians in which I am in fellowship. Now, that does not mean that anyone who would do otherwise is not a Christian. Oh, I believe that many are. But they should observe the supper in the place where it should be observed, and that's in the local church. It is a church ordinance. Now, when Paul gave the instructions in 1 Corinthians, it was to the church. It was to the members of that local church who knew each other, they were in fellowship with each other, and they would commune with the Lord. Now, there are some issues, and you know, people ask about things like this. Well, they may ask the question, did Paul observe the supper with them? I can't answer that question definitively because the Bible doesn't say. First Corinthians, of course, is a letter to the church, and Paul wrote it because he wasn't there. But I do know this, that the apostle had the office of apostle, and neither I nor anyone else today has that authority. And so if he did observe it with them when he was there, it's by the authority of being their first pastor. And by virtue of that office of the apostle, that does not exist today. So I believe the solemnity and the sanctity of the supper are demeaned by not taking it in the proper place. We commune with Christ as the body, as the church. And it's not that we just like to get together as Christians. Now, let me go on because there is a second part to Peter and John's question. They said, where wilt thou that we prepare? Now, secondly, I want us to look at the preparation for the supper. Where wilt thou that we prepare? Preparation was necessary. Well, what kind of preparation? Well, in this case, of course, they had to bring a lamb that was killed. They must prepare the Passover meal. But there was more to this than just bringing a lamb. There's the issue of cleansing the room. Now, let me take you back to this discussion of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The room where Jesus sent them had to be cleansed from leaven. From top to bottom, leaven had to be removed. Anything that touched leaven had to be ceremonially cleansed. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day celebration in which the Jews would remove all of the leaven from their houses. And then for seven days, they would not eat anything that was leavened. I realize some of you may not really understand what's meant by leaven. Well, we would commonly call that yeast. We, We call our packaged bread that you go pick up off the shelf at the grocery store, um, we call that light bread. And the reason is because there's yeast that has permeated the dough, caused the bread to rise, and so you have all these air bubbles, and that's why we call it light bread. Well, when the children of Israel were ready to leave Egypt, God said, you can't eat unleavened bread. And that's because they were in a hurry. They didn't have time to to wait for the dough to rise. They needed to be ready to move quickly, to be ready to leave Egypt immediately. And they were also told when they ate this Passover meal, they were to eat it with their shoes on. And that's to signify that they need to be immediately ready to go. But more importantly, this leaven, it was a symbol. And not eating leavened bread was a symbol that Egypt was not to be a part of their lives any longer. Now, in the Bible, living in Egypt represents the sinful life. It represents that time before salvation. Uh, It represents sin. Egypt is always representative of sin. 
And so when the disciples cleansed the room, they had to get rid of anything that leaven may have touched. And so they had to do a deep cleaning of that room to make sure there's nothing there, not a pot, not a pan, not anything that leaven may have touched. Now, in our supper, as we observe it today, we will eat unleavened bread. There's no yeast in it. And so getting the leaven out symbolized getting rid of everything that represented the Egyptian life. God did not want them to have any connection with Egypt any longer. I think it's interesting that God put a severe limitation on Israel concerning Egypt. They were never again to form any alliances with them. And in the same way, we are never again to owe any allegiance to our sin. When you become a Christian, you must get the leaven out. You must get sin out. You must get rid of everything that's a part of your old life that is sinful. And this is because you are not a part of this world any longer. You aren't in Egypt any longer. That's not your life. Now, now listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 5 that brings this strikingly into view. The apostle says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5, Purge out there the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Well, this is the place where we can put these two concepts together. Paul was discussing sin in the church. He was discussing specifically here fornication in the church. Speaking of that sin, this was not an abstract, not sin in the abstract. These are people that have been guilty of sin. And Paul said, you've got to get the sin out of your lives. So he says, purge it out. Get rid of it. Get rid of that sin. And then he gives the reason for even Christ. Our Passover is sacrificed for us. So you see how he takes this Old Testament picture of Passover and combines it with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he's telling them, just as Israel left Egypt, they must get rid of that leaven. And so these church members in Corinth must get rid of the leaven of sin in their lives. The past life of Egypt is not who you are. And I want to tell you that when you come to this supper, you must come with your sins confessed. You must come with your sins repented of. You must come with sins forsaken. You're not qualified to eat of this table unless you have a pure heart before God. You must come prepared. Well, there may be some of you who would say, my heart is not pure right now. And so I shouldn't partake. You know, that's not good enough because we have here a double edged sword. If you partake with a sinful heart, the Bible says that you are in danger of judgment. This is the reason that Paul said there in first Corinthians that some of the Corinthians had died. They ate with sinful hearts. So on one hand, you shouldn't eat because of sin. But on the other hand, as one of God's children, members of the church, you have been commanded to partake of this supper. And if you are a member of the church and you don't partake, then you will sin against God. So how are we going to solve this dilemma? Well, the answer to it is you must be prepared. In fact, you should be prepared as if we were going to take this supper every Sunday. 
You're to live with your sins confessed, with forgiveness asked, with daily sacrifice and service to Christ. Egypt, your old sins, they're not supposed to be a part of your life any longer. You were supposed to, when you came to Christ, have forsaken all sin and left that behind. But I think that we would all admit many have not. What happened in all of these months that we were away? Were you pure during that time? Did you try to serve the Lord during that time? Did you live for Christ? Do you sit here with clean hands and a pure heart? Well, if not, then I urge you to get right with God. You need to be prepared even in these next few minutes. You ought to be speaking to God in your heart right at this very moment. And I don't know, maybe some of you could be upset because I've upset your mood. But folks, we are here because Jesus Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He died that we might be rid of a life of sin. Paul said to the Romans, how how can you that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And so you must be prepared as you as you come here. Some of you may be caught on the horns of this dilemma right now. You're commanded to partake your sin if you don't, but then you'll sin if you do. So what do you do about that? Well, the answer is fairly simple. Actually, it's, it, it is to repent right now. It's to confess of your sins now and determine that you won't go back to them. And then when we observe the supper again, however long that will be, you will come to this place with a record of devotion, with purity and cleansing and consecration of your heart. This is serious business that we do here. Very serious business. I don't want to ruin the solemnity of this moment. We, we should come here with glad hearts, shouldn't we? We should come here with hearts that are gladdened because we know Christ and what he did for us. We should come here unashamed and you should be able to listen to, to, to preaching like this and say, praise God, I've been freed from that old sinful life. Now I think our, our hearts, I mean, if you're like me today, I think, I think our hearts are as full, nearly as full as they can be. Because we rejoice so much that once again we are back with God's people. We are at the church by ourselves. We're the church. Now that we're gathered, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Where wilt thou? That's the place. Where wilt thou that we prepare? That's the readiness. That is the preparation. Now, thirdly, I want to give you the purpose of the supper. These verses are loaded with information. I could state the purpose of the supper in many ways. I could speak to you. Specifically about the breaking of the bread. And our purpose would be to show you the breaking of Christ's body and that Jesus is the bread of life. I could speak to you of the cup and I could give you a sermon that shows that the blood represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And the purpose of the cup is to show in a figure that that blood was shed on the cross. And then, of course, we would take what we've read and we tie that into the story again of Passover and talk about that blood that's on the doorpost. And we would talk about that because it is Christ's blood that protects us from the wrath of God. But I want to personalize this a little more for you. 
We've spoken of the bread and the blood in many past messages. So let me personalize this a little more for everybody. The purpose of the Lord's Supper for you is to show obedience to the Lord. Verse 19 says, and the disciples did as Jesus appointed them and they made ready the Passover. The disciples did as Jesus appointed them. They followed his direction. They did exactly what he told them to do. They obeyed. They went and they found it just as Jesus said. The man was there. The room is ready. There's sufficient space. The proper furnishings they need. All the utensils are there. And when you obey Jesus, you find it always just as Jesus says. This is true when you're tithing. It's true with your witnessing. It's true with your service in the church. It's true with your family. It's true with your contentment. You'll find when you do just as Jesus says, all your needs are supplied. Your faith is built. Your strength is established. You are conformed to the image of Christ. You live in great anticipation of his return. It's all there when you obey. And then someday your eyes will close in death. And when you open them in the presence of the Lord, you will find it just as he said. And may I even say better than you ever could imagine it would be. Nothing is ever out of place with the Lord. No details are ever overlooked. He gives everything that he promises. Now, let me advise you of the opposite of that as well. If you disobey then you will find it just as Jesus says. You will enjoy the uh, or endure the consequences as Jesus says. Uh, again, some of you may have become a little bit uncomfortable today, today. I mean, there's this looming issue out there that there are some who claim salvation. And yet they disobey Christ. The issue here is assurance. Our assurance that we know Christ can only come through obedience. This is what John said in the epistle of 1 John chapter 2. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, that that's a huge issue, isn't it? How, How do you come to the supper today? Do you come with a heart that is assured before him? Do you know him? Are you obedient? Have you proved in your life that you know him by being obedient? And did you come here with a clear conscience and proof of your salvation that you are prepared? Now, you can trust me on this. If you have not truly trusted Christ and repented of your sins and you know that you are his child, If that is not true of you, steer clear of this supper. There is no more blasphemous thing that you can do than to partake of this supper without being a child of God. And do you know why? It's because you are in rejection of the power of his blood. I want you to listen to this fearsome warning that we read in Hebrews. In Hebrews 10 it says, For if we sin willfully... After that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. There's nothing else that will save you but the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But 
Verse 27, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and done despite under the spirit of grace. Now, this is a passage that refers to those who claim Christianity. These are people who were probably in the assembly of the church, but they had not been truly converted. And to be in that condition, to hear the word of God preached, to hear the gospel given, and to not believe it, to turn away from that, is to trample under your feet the blood of Jesus Christ. And we would say, how much more is that condemnation intensified for an unbeliever to come here and partake of this symbol of his body and blood? Well, the purpose of the supper is for those who are in obedience to Christ to memorialize his death for sin. It's to commemorate the sacrifice of the cross. It is to say, I believe, therefore I obey. So is that true of you? Have you obeyed the Lord with repentance and faith? And if you have, you say that you have, do you honestly try to live a sanctified life? Do you honestly try to live in holiness by obedience to all of his commands? Does your life show that you believe? Are there markers there that you can point to that will assure your heart before him? Now, I do hope you carefully Consider this as we observe the supper. Paul said in that 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So we remember the place. We are God's church assembled to observe an ordinance of the church. Remember the preparation. There should be no leaven in your life. There should be no Egypt in your heart. Sin must be confessed and repented of. And then remember this purpose. Assure your heart in obedience to him in all things, especially the assurance that comes by partaking in this memorial supper. Christ died for our sins. Christ redeemed our lives, and he died to give us eternal life. And he says, this do in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you recognizing that we are sinners. We're not made worthy by anything that we've done. When we speak of worthiness to take the supper, we're not dependent on our abilities, not on anything that we can do for you. No, we're only made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. And we show that we've been saved when we obey you as you tell us to. We find it just as you say when we always obey. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts before you now in this hour. Help us to serve you as we should. And Lord, may our hearts be lifted up May we have joy, gladness in our hearts for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.